Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Chain of Supers family. Coming to you live after the Timberwolves lost, their four-game win streak has been ended by the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion Williamson especially. They lose in overtime, 140-136. to uh, a fun game, ultimately not a fun result, but definitely one that is good for the tanking standings, especially with the Orlando Magic winning with a Cole Anthony game winner. Joining me to discuss the game and kind of, you know, everything around the Timberwolves at the moment is Kyle Tige, Editor-in-Chief at Tennis Hooper, Site Manager, good guy, Timberwolves, Twitter legend. Kyle, what's going on, man? <laughs> Stop. Uh, what's going on, dude? I'm a... Uh... Let's run this back. We like we were talking about offline. Um, we were all amped to uh, talk about that five game winning streak, and it kind of abruptly ended. So uh, I think we should just let's just jump right into it, right? Um, they were up, they're up one uh, one nineteen one oh nine with four twenty two left, and at the end of regulation, it was one twenty three one twenty three. So it doesn't take a mathematician to figure out that they were outscored fourteen to four in the last four and a half minutes. Um, the Wolves' offense completely fell apart. Um, I I didn't, you know, we were talking about this before, but uh, the last second shot for Russell, I didn't mind who took it, but I didn't love what the shot was. Um, and I kind of, you, you were on this first, but I kind of felt like maybe, I thought Ant was going to go for 50. I'm tweeting out crazy shit about Ant and how good he is, and I'm attacking nerds. Um and then he kind of disappeared. So, like, I don't know. Walk me through what you walk me through what you thought of the last play and why 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 would a coach run a play like that that has no action other than just one on one? Yeah, well, I, I think the first point is the reason that that Finch runs that play and that a lot of coaches around the league run those isolation, you know, wind the clock down kind of plays is that. It limits your well, limits almost to to a zero percent chance your ability or your tendency to turn the ball over. And okay, yeah. when 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 the score is tied and you know you've got twenty seconds on the clock, the last thing you want is to to throw an errant pass or to you know have Lonzo Ball jump a passing lane and and get in there and all of a sudden you lose that game in regulation. So that's that's not mis- kind of forgiving the fact that I, I don't think it was very well executed at all. Uh, but that's the reason why they run those plays. D'Angelo Russell dribbling at the top of the tee 15 seconds completely limits, you know, the the fact that they could turn the ball over. That being said, you know, D'Lo was, what, one of nine from three at that point um, and had been cooking for most of the game outside of, you know, kind of the last eight minutes of the fourth quarter. 
Cat had been really good from deep as well. Cat in the post, you know, or Cat kind of anywhere. You know, our, our friend Dane Moore is always saying that if you need one point to win, you go with Cat because he can just get a bucket from anywhere. But like we, we like you've said to me before, you you we can't kind of jump around and, and, and pop the champagne every time D'Angelo Russell makes one of these crazy clutch isolation threes and then kind of getting on here and, and tell everyone how bad it was when he misses one because he that these misses are going to happen. I think that really it's kind of... It's more on what happened in the five, six, seven minutes leading up to that shot that, that lost the Wolves the game. And, and I don't even think that they played that badly. I don't think it was a you know, kind of early season collapse at the end of a game where they just stopped doing everything that had got them that lead. I just think the, the shots stopped falling. And sometimes the rim just doesn't want to play the game. Uh, you know, the, the players start missing shots that they'd normally hit. And I think that they were still running pretty good actions throughout the whole fourth quarter. But the, the shots just stopped going in. And then defensively, they, they were the Wolves defensively, which, they, they, which they'd been all game and they've been all season. And that was that they just couldn't get a stop when they needed to. And Zion Williamson was a freight train. He couldn't stop getting fouled, which, you know, I think a few of them were questionable. But, you know, he's a hard guy to stop, man. He, he pretty much fouled out the entire team on his own tonight. And that was kind of the difference. When it got to OT and you had no cat, no McDaniels, and you're trying to still get stops, it became pretty much impossible. And I think that was the, the crux of it right there, is that just it just wasn't the Timberwolves' night tonight in the fourth quarter, and that, that really hurt them. What what were your thoughts kind of on the game as a whole and, and on that fourth quarter collapse, I guess, especially? Oh, I, I think we got to like just snort some coffee or some espresso here just because I think our general tone is defeated, which is, as we said before, like it's kind of batshit crazy that like, it's May and we're like sad about losses, right? Like, um, because outside of this weird trend where the Timberwolves now get punched in the face every first quarter, like I watched that first quarter and they're down by eight or nine. And I was like, oh, they're, you just kind of feel a vibe, right? When you start watching these game stuff, I really thought after the first quarter that they were going to win the game. Um, and then they did exactly what they've done for the last like 10 days. They just outplayed and actually made some good defensive stops in the second and third quarter and started to hit shots. Um, and they got it up, like I said, to that 119-109 with 420. I mean, the, the Pelicans are one of the biggest glass jaw teams in the league in terms of once they get punched in the face, they're kind of done. Um, and then to Stan Van Gundy's credit, I guess, even though I don't, I'm not sure how good of a coach Stan Van Gundy is, but uh, he just got the ball in Zion's hands and he they took out a Brandon Ingrams. And that's been a big national story all year is, whose team is it when everyone really knows whose team it should be. Um, and they just said Zion, point Zion. And he just, there's like Nas, Jaden, Cat, doesn't matter who it is. They're giving him five and a half feet on the perimeter. They're daring him to shoot. And he still gets to the rim. Like that's, that is like Marvel character shit for him to be like, hey, I'm going to give you all this space. I want you to shoot. And he's like, no, nah, actually, I'm going to go to the rim. And he still got there. Yeah. So he was phenomenal. I mean, he followed out the whole Wolves front court. Um, which is another just impressive thing. I think, I think I saw a stat somewhere where he had like 24, I can't remember how many points he finished with, but he had like 24 points on layups, four points on dunks. And then that was like, like his whole point distribution was literally 
like at the rim. Like go look at his shot chart. Yeah. It was insane. He did not take one jump shot. No. He did not take one jump he shot. He didn't have to. I just <laughs> I think that it's actually I, I I say this knowing full well that teams have thrown a bunch of different coverages at Zion and pretty much none of them worked. But I don't know. I think it's the same with Ben Simmons as well. That like I don't I don't like the tactic of giving them a five meter runway. Yeah, no, I, that's a I good think, point. Yeah, yeah. I think that when they in the few times where mainly McDaniel's kind of got up into his airspace at the three point line, I think you like when you have a good defender like McDaniel's you, and and Vanderbilt. I think who's been really good on those bigger wing kind of guys lately. I think if you get up on them early and and trust yourself to stay on their hip. Rather than just yeah, letting that's them, a good point. Like get ahead. Like once Zion gets four steps, un you know unabated, you're not stopping him. He just and like whether you foul him or not, it's gonna look like a foul because he's just gonna like crunch you in half. That and then that's that's and that might be that might be like the if the if the Pelicans make the play in game or the playoffs, that might be like the the way smart teams scout him is to yeah. actually pick him up whenever he gets the ball. Like you know even full yeah. full court or half court like. Don't give him space. And and Jaden was, to your credit, I, I kind of flubbed on that. Jaden was picking him up, like, tighter. But he's the only guy that can move his feet well enough. I mean, no no, no discredit to, to, to V8, but, like, he just he can't move his feet as well as Jaden. But he was doing too. But, like, when they would put Nas on him for a little bit, Nas had to give him that space because he can't right. move his feet. Right. But, um, no, I just... Well, that's, that's the problem just in general is that, like, no matter who you put on him, there's some sort of matchup problem. Like, Nas isn't fast enough. Cat's not fast enough to kind of stay with him. McDaniels isn't big enough. Like, I tweeted out, you know, how, how good has Jaden McDaniels been this season at playing above his weight class and kind of dealing with, with power forwards and even centers at times? Like, he made Rudy Gobert look like a sniffling child a few days ago and but zion is huge man like he no human in the world has ever been built like him imagine imagine too like it's dude from when we talked in like november and like hope Jaden would just crush dudes in the g league bubble to the fact of like today may 1st it's like he just casually without a care in the world transitions from like he shutting down luca to then guarding Kyrie or KD or James Harden and then Zion Williamson. Like, he's going from one guy who might weigh 190 to a guy who weighs 270 and just he's so good. And the the, the sad thing is is that as soon as he fouled out, I mean, it was over. Like, they, they would have done everyone, a, 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 you know, a benefit to just call the game because as soon as he fouled out, the Wolves had no chance. Because like you said, they can't – Carl can't guard him at the perimeter, Nas can't guard him really anywhere. And then I thought Vanderbilt, who's been a revelation these last couple of weeks, um, was the second best guy to come up. But he, you know, he he gives it's up tough. a lot of weight too. So Yeah, it's tough. And, and tonight just wasn't a Josh Cody game who has been excellent lately. Uh, kind of, not ruined, but put a damper on the fact that I'm about to write about how excellent he's been lately, especially offensively. But he played 17 minutes tonight, Josh, which is way down on what he'd been Playing lately, obviously, as a starter. You know, D'Lo didn't have it going from three. Cat didn't really have it going all night. Like, he... he <laughs> it's it's weird because Cat didn't have it going all night and he had 28, 14, three assists and three steals. Like, that's where we're at right now with Carl Anthony Towns. But it just felt like all night, even when they were in the driver's seat, it was going to be a game that they pulled off despite not playing exceptionally well. And I think that just kind of came back to, to bite them a little bit towards the end. And had a few 
bad possessions in the in the fourth quarter and kind of got the got the Chris Finch, I think, um, treatment a little bit where, you know, if you can't like we need to go to the more experienced players if you're not gonna be able to do it. And and I don't know if that was the greatest tactic from from my man Chris Finch, who I adore. Yeah. But I you know it was it was a tough night. It was know, just a tough night, I think, to to win against a team that, that had Zion rolling. Sometimes you just get punched in the face by a superstar and I thought that was just the difference in the end and and you know I think to kind of put a bow on it but probably transition to what you and I thought we were going to talk about um you know credit to Dane Moore because he, he said this the other night when him and I recorded but like like front offices tank all the time but players don't tank it doesn't it, you no, know, no. whether it be football soccer baseball you know whatever like any sport basketball like it does, players don't tank like when you get out on the court you play your ass off um, so these games, I mean, and, you know, when I pull myself back and tomorrow I'll have some opt- optimistic tweet that I'll send out, but like, it was really the best of both worlds tonight, right? Because Carl D'Lo and Ant all combined to, I mean, you're starting to see, right? This big three, like every night you look in the box score, these guys combined for 70, 80, you know, sometimes 90 points. Um, but, and they just, of all the times they did all these good things to wrap up games and close out games. They just didn't do it tonight. But I think that's what's yeah. good is like. We, we, I and you would have been happy if they would have finished the season on like a 14 game winning streak, right? Like that would have been sick to be the, you know, the, the wolves, like we've been talking about the Phoenix suns in the bubble. If the wolves closed out on this awesome winning streak, that's cool. But they did get the loss tonight and you already touched on it. The magic one. And there's weird stuff happening with like the thunder beat the Celtics. And I think, I think if I can swallow my the thunder pride, also lost by 60 tonight. Yeah, don't even get me started on that. That's an embarrassment. <laughs> what they're doing. Like people yeah. want to, just praise Sam Presti for all he did, but it's like he's doing the same thing Hinky did, and or not Hinky, yeah, Sam Hinky, and like Hinky got yeah. thrown out of Philly, but that's embarrassing. Like I think if you go look at the the box score, Sabonis had like twenty four, twelve, and eleven for the Pacers in the first half. It's a damn shame the Thunder couldn't give a put their thirty million dollar center on the court, Al, Al Horford, to defend him. But don't get me started on that. But I guess my point is is that the Wolves, you know, they they were competitive. They didn't or they didn't get hurt or anything. And they kind of learned some stuff. Like I said, that last 420 was so choppy. Um, I don't know if it was Russell. I don't know if it was Carl. I don't know if it was Ricky or I don't know if it was Chris Finch. But they kind of froze Ant out a little bit. Um, and I think it's okay to do that still because he's a rook- rookie still, right? Like he, he is a rookie for the next eight or nine remaining games. Um, but I think this team's going to have to figure out this summer in addition to roster stuff. I really believe, and I, the Brooklyn Nets, I think, have to figure it out too. Like, I think you do have to have a pecking order. It doesn't have to be firm. It doesn't have to be like, I'm always one, you're always two. But you kind of have to have a little more solidified there because I really do think if they go to Ant those last couple possessions, he gets, I mean, he was, I think he got to the free throw line 11 times. He, they couldn't guard him either. I mean, he's not as big as Zion, but they didn't have with Josh Hart out. I mean, they didn't have anyone they could put on him to defend him. And it's just, he started, when he... When he gets rolling, that team feeds off that kid's energy more than they do a big Carl shot or a you know a clutch D'Lo bucket. So I, I think it was a good learning lesson. It was, you know, quote unquote growing pains for the team because the Wolves, it's May and the team's like, we should have won that game. And like, what what right. the hell? Like what? Like uh, two months ago, you and I were happy if they just didn't lose by 30. And now they're like, we're, we're, we should be pissed off that we lost that game because I mean, there's no better way to say it. Like, they blew it. They kind of choked down the end. Yeah. You score four points in four minutes, you choke. Yeah. 
And, and look, I, I think that, like you said, it's just it's just one of those things that you know you kind of have to brush off in the overarching kind of overall scheme of things. Like the vibe should be good around the team right now, and to me, it is good. Like this team has, as much as you know, they're still going to finish with one of the four or five worst records. The the vibe, the the future, kind of the outlook of the team, I feel like has completely changed in the last 15, 20 games. You know, longer than even this win streak. They're competitive every night now. They, I never feel like they're going to get blown out. Even when they do get blown out, it's kind of a surprise. Like. I just feel like when Cat, D'Lo, Edwards are out there, this team has a, has a really good chance to compete, and and I guess that transitions us into what what was your thoughts throughout this win streak? Was do you think that you know they should be winning? Do you think that it, it will mean much? Is it you know I know a lot of people kind of dismiss the thought of late season wins when a lot of teams are kind of winding down on their season. How, how do you feel? How much do you think? That win streak, plus I guess you know the the wins before they could have been on a seven game winning streak if Tyrese Halliburton had hadn't have stepped out of bounds and, and put his hand over the referee's eyes while he did so. Hey, that's uh, that's so- that's the kind of whistle rookie of the years get, man. Like they just you know unanimous <laughs> rookie of the years they get. But no, I I mean I am like an optimistic fan of the worst professional team in American sports, like male sports. Um, so I obviously look at things through such a slanted prism already, but I subscribe 300% to the idea of just like, it's so important for the youngest team in the league to get important winning reps or just reps in clutch time or reps in games that are close. Like you talked about that Orlando magic game. The guy who hit that shot was Cole Anthony. He's a huge, he's a rookie too. He's a huge part of what Orlando's trying to do after they burned it down to the ground by trading everyone away. Like I just think it's so important to have these young guys playing in meaningful moments and I mean go back and look at that win streak we're talking about right like the Kings I think the Kings are just far enough out of the playing game I don't think they're going to really make any noise but they're beating Utah right like the best record in the league at the time right they're beating the Warriors who are in a must-win situation with a you know a sneaky MVP candidate with Steph um Tonight the Pelicans. They beat, Mi- they beat Miami a few games earlier than that yep. as well. Yeah, and they beat Chicago that one day too. And this was a couple weeks ago, but when the Bulls were like, they needed to keep winning to keep their spot before Zach went out. Uh, Zach Levine went out with the COVID stuff. So they're beating good teams, right? They're not just beating up on the. I mean, yes, they beat the Rockets, but like they're not just beating up on all these low, low teams. So I think winning is so important, and that's why tonight, like. It's probably good that they mix in a loss for the standings because, yeah, at the end of the day, it still would be nice to have somewhat the best chance at percentage. But, I, dude, we've watched this. We've I know the Wolves jumped up the lottery and got Anthony Edwards, right? And, like, that was huge. But I've watched so many other lotteries, man, that don't go their way um, that I'm not going to pin my hopes and dreams on them going 2-14 and 14 to close out the last month and a half of the season and then that's when the narr- I mean that's when the narratives can really start right like if the wolves would go on to lose 11 straight or lose games like the thunder were that's when the the bloods in the water that's when the piranhas start writing the articles about does carl want out should they do this should they do that um i think there's real value in finishing the season strong and then you know before you leave the locker room that last game in a couple weeks like 
hey, like grabbing the young guys and be like, we're gonna we're gonna meet up this summer. We're gonna work out together. Come to LA. Like we're gonna do that shit. I think it's a huge thing. I don't, I don't, I don't know how you can want this team to just go into the summer on the lowest of lows when they already have like a weighted coin of they don't even have a fifty percent chance of keeping their pick. So if 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 and you're you're my draft guy, you and like Tyler Metcalf and stuff, but um. If the top three is the top three, right? If it's going to be Cade, it's going to be Mobley, and it's going to be Suggs, the Wolves aren't going to give any of those guys to the Warriors. Like, it, because it can't, because they're, they're top three protected. So if they give up the fifth pick now, or the sixth pick, the seventh pick, like, that's not the end of the world. Because if this team can show that, like, they have their big three and they just need to kind of gel more and tweak the edges, I think that's so much more important than whatever the hell the thunder are trying to do or the rockets are trying to do um or even the magic so but what do you think like do you are you team win or or should i say team try to win you know what i mean yeah yeah i i am and you know you know this anyone who listens to the podcast knows that i don't think the wolves can have a bigger you know one player trying to come into their team and make more of a difference than if they keep their draft pick like for the longest time, I was completely on board with tanking. And I'm pretty sure I was on board with tanking while it was still actually a question, you know, around the fan base, whether they should try and win. I was on board with tanking the minute Carl Anthony Towns announced that he had COVID. Like, that's, you know, it's been... I was on board with tanking from 15, you know, 10, 15 games into the season. Because Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, especially Mobley or Cunningham, are exceptional talents. And both would be massive for this team. Like, that, this team's ceiling would, you know, go through the roof, which makes no sense because a ceiling can't go through a roof. But you know what I mean. Like, if they were to, to acquire one of those two dudes, they'd be... The future would be brighter than ever, especially with Ant, with Carl, with D'Lo, you know, with, with whoever. But, on the other hand, like like you just said, like, this team, it's it's so counterproductive to encourage a guy like Anthony Edwards who's been criticised for losing wherever he's gone for the, his whole of his career and for not being a winning basketball player to encourage him to that it's bad like to kind of put in his mind that it's bad to take over games and win them Carlton Towns exactly the same he's been criticised for being a losing player his whole career also imagine starts, imagine the optics and, of like D'Lo and Cat in street clothes sitting on the bench while the team gets their ass kicked like that, right. you know, what I mean? like you know how many people are pulling still images of that and being like, "Are these guys going to be here?" Like, start. I mean, there's there's a couple of losers already online who the blue checkmark syndrome that gets into their brain and they think that they know shit. Uh, they're already trying to write things like Carl wants out and stuff. They have no sources whatsoever and like just the biggest losers in the world. But um, but I mean, just like those people, th- th- those people would be just like I said, blood like sharks in the water of. If the Wolves are just getting spanked trying to lose like the Thunder are doing. Because I think the Thunder are really, truly the only team that are really... I mean, the Rockets are tanking, but the Thunder are doing it to an egregious exceptionally. level. Yeah, they're doing exceptionally well. They lost by 60. Um, but I just... I think that you got to figure out what you have. And Gersh said that at the trade deadline. But also, too, to your point, because you said that you were pro-tanking for a while. I was, too, but that was also like when the season got off to this stupid start, right? And D'Lo... And that was when they had no chance to win. Like, that's when they didn't show any signs of life of winning. Like, now, I don't want them to go out there and start losing when I know that this team can can win games yeah. or can at least be competitive in games. Like, like you said, ultimately, tonight, a game like tonight is kind of 
the ideal situation. They played pretty well. Things didn't go their way down the stretch. They lost to a team who were, comp- were competing really hard to to get into the playing tournament themselves. But I just think that, yeah, it's counterproductive to not to not encourage the players to win. It would look horrible, like you said, if they were going full tank mode and and Cat was sitting out and Delo was sitting out. And I can guarantee the fan base that's you know even the ones that are really annoyed that they're winning would be just as annoyed if they were doing that. And finally, like the optics, talk about optics. The optics, if they lose 11 straight games and then get the fifth pick and give it to Golden State. Yep. Oh my is God. As bad as, it's as bad as anything that could happen. Like it's Great take. Great take. The only way that this deal, which, you know, let's put it an underline underneath it, it, it they shouldn't, Jason Rosa shouldn't have made the, this pick top three protected. Or he shouldn't have traded the pit. It was it wasn't a good deal, even though we are big D'Angelo Russell fans, and I think he has been excellent. We'll get to him soon. I want to talk more about D'Lo, but they shouldn't have given up that pitch. But the only way to salvage some sort of reputation, some sort of those optics on this pitch, is to finish the season strong. Like to, and to, to finish the season, to, I think. I, I, the number always changes, and I don't do a good job of always remembering it. But I could have sworn that the Wolves were like ten and six with Carl and, and D'Lo, or twelve and eight, or something. I thought they had a, a yeah. above five hundred record, or maybe it was with him, the, those two, and Ant. But my point is that the record with those three guys all on the floor together is is good. Um, and if you can finish the season with whatever the record with Carl and D'Lo, or Carl D'Lo and Ant being you know above five hundred. That's a big thing for when we get into the summer and it's hot and no one has shit to talk about and we start going like, hey, you know, like if 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 they would have finished on an eleven game losing streak, you know, you know the re- the re- or the record with Carl and D'Lo and Ant is, you know, a thirty two percent winning clip. Like that's just that shit just adds in the narrative and the optics and all that stuff. So trying to win games also too like I wanted to say this a couple minutes ago, but like I was pro tanking a couple months ago when. D'Lo had one leg and Carl had COVID and Ant was simply not the player he is now. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, shit, we probably need another guy to, because this team might not be very good. And now you're seeing you bring in Chris Finch. Carl comes back. His wrist looks healthy. D'Lo looks completely different from a health standpoint than he's ever looked in Minnesota. And Anthony Edwards, again, not to beat a dead horse, but not to ruin the nerds on Twitter that just are sleeping in bed with their spreadsheets. But like Anthony Edwards is a completely different player than he was in January and February. And it's like, okay, now we have something here. So now let's start to see if the pieces fit around. Like if this team would have just thrown it away for the last month, we probably don't see Jared Vanderbilt get kind of re-energized to the point where it's like, he's kind of like a must sign guy. He's a restricted free agent, but you saw him in winning moments be like the second best defender for 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 big you know a big defender behind Jade McDaniel's, um, Josh Okogie's renaissance that you want to write about. I I don't I think tonight was just a matchup. Like I just think Josh didn't match up against anyone that well. Um, right. But, and they need. I think they need they needed to keep going offensively because they knew that they weren't going to be able to beat New Orleans unless they scored 135 themselves. And sometimes Josh just isn't conducive to that. But, but, kind of but a, before tonight, though, fight. I mean, Josh has been, I'm glad he's been awesome. And again, Chris Finch unlocked him again. Like he's been, I he, I wouldn't say he's a foundational player, but he's, he's an important asset for them to keep. Um, so yeah, not, not to go circles around this, but I just, I think winning or trying to win is really important. Um, I don't think they're talented enough to, 
like, <laughs> to win to the point where they get the seventh pick. Like, do you, you know what I mean? Like, I think they, they're going to win more games than, than they were previously, but I don't think that they're going to win 10 straight games and completely, like, destroy their chances of getting this pick. I think no matter what, they're still going to have, you know, a 30, that, you know, the 30% chance or whatever it is. It just... And if you, and again, it, there are going to be, I can't stress this enough, and you know this because you are so much deeper into draft coverage than I am, but like there are going to be players drafted this summer that are not going to be good. We're already seeing it, or maybe maybe not not be good, but are going to take a long time to show whether or not they are good. I mean, look back at the just this lottery, right? There are some stars in what I think Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halburn. There's also guys that have just completely flamed out that are in that top five, top seven area. So I just, I don't, I'm not super worried. And again, my, my, my the reason I say that is because only three teams are going to get those top three guys that I think and you think are kind of locks to to be good in Suggs, Mobley, and Cunningham. Um, but five or six or seven or eight teams are going to go into the finish line with their pants at, around their ankles you know what I mean so like if you don't get one of those guys do you want to be the team like the wolves that you lost your pick but you had some real momentum with the guys you're actually building around or you went and you missed on those top three guys and you're the rockets and you lost your pick or you're the thunder and you're drafting fourth in a three-person draft and you lost like 30 of your last 38 games so I just think winning's important I think teaching the young guys we talk about this all the time but ant Nas Reed, Jaden, like they're like young dog, like puppies. Like you got to classically condition puppies to like play the right way, do the right thing. And you reward them with winning. You don't reward them with Instagram posts. You don't reward them with Zoom media sessions. You reward them with winning. And the more this team can win and teach the right habits, the less shit Chris, ha- Chris Finch has to like dig out this summer and this training, this fall with training camp to, to kind of fix because he's had to fix. How, how much do you love Chris Finch? Don't get me started. You know how much you love Jaden McDaniels? That's how much I love Chris Finch. I, well, we've done this a thousand times, and people are just going to be rolling over in their graves right now. Like, Ryan Saunders, great guy, but, like, I don't see the game as well as a lot of you, and I can, like, it's like watching, I don't know, man, it's like drinking water versus drinking, like, rosé. Like, I mean, Chris Finch is just a goddamn magician, which is why I was bummed with the play call he ran at the end, I think you kind of enlightened me on this idea that maybe they ran something simple to kind of narrow their margin of error. Like, if anyone's getting a shot, it's us. That was, like, galaxy brain. You're so smart on that shit. But um, it would have been cool to, like, have him run one of his magical plays where everyone runs towards the half-court line, you know, and then someone gets an yeah. easy layup. But, but I mean, like, what, what's, been the, what's been the biggest change? Has it been, like, sets has it been rotation has it been what let let let's take a quick break okay. from that because i'm going to go on you know uh, a, <laughs> tan, a chris finch tangent and then we'll come back and Deal. i want to talk chris finch Deal. and our favorite things about him you ready showtime on may 3rd summer starts with the fall guy what are you doing later let's drink a spicy margarita make some bad decisions yes Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. 
<laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, we are back. You asked me just before we went to the break what my favorite things about Chris Finch are. Tell me. Kind of what, what has stood out to me. There's a few things. I think, first of all, I think he is the biggest reason that they've won these games. Obviously, you know, Anthony Towns has been great. Anthony Edwards has taken four or five different leaps this season. And Delo's come back healthy, you know, firing, hitting shots. Today, tonight, he was so good passing the ball. That, that's gone underrated against New Orleans because he, he put on a live dribble passing masterclass in this game. There's someone next door is banging on the wall, so I'm sorry. I can't hear, hear it. That. Dude, that pass he had to Wancho was stupid under the basket where he kind of looks away and just fires in this fastball. I mean, I, I knew – I didn't watch a lot of D'Angelo Russell before he was a Timberwolf, but uh, I knew he was an underrated passer. But, dude, he is like hella underrated. Like he makes – when he gets kind of vibing, you can see it. He's bouncing around. Right, he, yeah. And you made it you, – you tweeted that up like that live ball passing. It's crazy. Yeah, he – that's a great point. I think when he – starts feeling himself he starts feeling himself as a passer as yeah, well yeah. like he he, he kind of has different modes like he he gets hot as a shooter we saw that multiple times since he's come back he had i think he's had two games where he hit six or seven threes yep. in the first half like and then tonight he was feeling himself as a passer he got he had straight away he had a live dribble kind of cross-court pass to wancho for a three i'm not sure if it went in or not but it was a great pass then he just started diamond dudes up like that were cutting. He he hit McLaughlin once. He hit Nas in transition with that no look pass. Dude, like, that one to McLaughlin where he kind of threw it over the top. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, I, I've um I've kind of detoured from my point here. <laughs> is that is that Finch? All of this I think comes down to Finch because we we know from their past I guess failures that. Mainly, Russell and Towns need to be put in the right context and the right situation to be winning players. And we love both of those guys, but the fact is that they just haven't won enough games for their career, for varying reasons. You know, supporting cast probably being the biggest of those reasons. But I just think that, that Finch is immediately, without a training camp, without uh, <laughs> more than probably 10 or 15 practices max, he's figured out how to use these guys the best way for them to all be synergistic together, the best way to keep them staggered. It's just, I think he's just been awesome in that regard. I think that all three of those guys are playing the best basketball of their career, obviously, and it's his first season, but the best, you know, basketball of, of his season under Finch. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think they all of a sudden woke up and decided they were going to be better players and, and be more uh, impactful in terms of, of getting wins for the team. I, I think that Finch has just masterclassed where to put those guys and, and, and how to play them. And then secondly, and it kind of, I guess, ties into this point, is with his um, with Finch's ability to, to squeeze the most juice out of his personnel. He's done it all down the roster. Like, it's not just the the stars that have played better. Like, Josh Cody was probably the worst offensive player in the league for a solid portion of this season. He His defense is was still very good, but he was so bad offensively that he couldn't even get on the court. Juancho Hernan Gomez was traveling quickly down the path of worst Timberwolves signings of all time. And he's been Juancho, good. He's been good. And I've 
lately. He's openly lately. stated that <laughs> I am not a Wancho fan. And I still think that he's been pretty average defensively. But yeah. even there, he stepped up. D'Lo stepped up defensively. And that's because they're running things. They're making life simple for those guys on defense. And then offensively, they've just got into a rhythm because the sets that have been ran are conducive to scoring for them. Like, like Wancho's coming off pin downs. He's he's in actions where where he's the ran like the, the action is ran for him to be a shooter. Him and D'Lo just have an awesome, uh, you know, Bid, relationship yeah, yeah. on the tour. Yeah. Like Jack Borman has noted that on Twitter. I just think it's an awesome point from Jack. But that, those two together are, are really good. And that's it. All comes down to the thing that I've complained about all year. If you listen to the podcast, you're probably sick of me hearing this. That that Ryan Saunders' offense was an eyesore and just terrible for this team. And Finch has come in and, you know, look at all these guys thriving. And, and Chris, Jared, Vanderbilt's, Jared Vanderbilt's doing good things. There's not one player on this team, maybe outside of Jared Culver, who just, you know, the injury and just all around kind of not being very good things. Jared Culver, Jared one Culver has one healthy ankle, and I would still maybe take him over Jackson Hayes, by the way. I, <laughs> Jackson Hayes was the... You want to talk about bad draft picks. I, I don't see it with him, but that's another topic. But I think... I think it goes not to tie everything back into the winning and losing and tankathon standings, but like Chris Finch is another one of the reasons why if you can if you can strip away how my personality might be optimistic, like he's one of the reasons why I don't really give I don't really give a shit what happens with the pick. I mean, yes, I do want one of those top three guys, but I just believe in him so much that like he has brought out the best of this kind of new big you know quote unquote how they call him big three. That I'm, I'm, I just, that's why I think if they can keep showing this promise, um, they don't, like you said, they don't really get, they don't get blown out. Um, they're healthy and they, they kind of stick it to teams. Like it would have been cool if we could have hopped on here after that Warriors game. Even when Steph was going off in that third quarter, I never thought during that Warriors game, the Wolves were going to lose. Like that's, that's insanity that the Wolves are playing the Warriors. And I thought they were going to win that game the whole time. Like Chris Finch was out coaching. Chris Finch is out coaching guys on a nightly basis that are considered top ten coaches. Like we might have to round up the troops this summer and do like a, a top fifteen coaches because I've been thinking about it. And I mean, his record's not going to support it. But like, I don't know if there's ten NBA coaches I'm taking over Chris Finch from just like a coaching standpoint. And he's out. And it's very crazy too. Like, yes, they lost to the Pelicans. That was kind of just some late game execution, but he has outcoached the hell out of guys like Stan Van Gundy or other guys that are like, you would think we're on more of a Ryan Saunders level. He just blows them out of the water. And it's crazy. It's, it's rotations. It's gut feeling sometimes just trusting guys. It's using timeouts at like he, he doesn't let these 12 0 runs happen to his young team. Like it could be a two Oh run. And he's like, nah, not, you know, <laughs> screw this. Like let's, let's draw something up. Let's try to get a play. He's, He's been probably, we'll never talk about it, right? Because you don't talk about a coach, but he's probably been like the second most impactful storyline of this off or this season is how much he's turned this thing around because he's made assets, like you said, that looked shitty. Another reason why winning is important, like maybe a guy like Jared Vanderbilt is an asset in a sign-in trade this summer, or maybe Josh Okogie has some life in a trade with someone. I mean, Everyone on that Wolves roster had no trade value the night that they lost to the Knicks and Ryan Saunders was still cashing checks. Like, everyone looked so much worse than they do now, and that's a credit to Finch. Yeah, and, you know, you've probably 
you've probably heard this number before, but I'll throw it out there to kind of for the preamble for the point I'm about to make is that in the 29 games since the All Star break, Minnesota is second in the league in net rating in the fourth quarter. They have a 121.9 offensive rating and a 109.8 defensive rating in the fourth. I know that. Obviously, coaching is important at all times, and it, it, it's a, a huge kind of component to winning games. But I do feel like the fourth quarter is when coaching really kind of gets underlined. And and bad. we saw that with Saunders. Like, Saunders wasn't a very good coach, but the Timberwolves could still play good for three quarters and then lose. Uh, you know, you see all the... You, you know, we've how many times have we watched the Timberwolves lose against good teams that where... The, where you can tell that this this coach is just out coaching dudes in that in the last quarter from from other teams, and that's exactly what Finch is doing. Because you look at the numbers that matches the eye test is is when it comes down to to the moments where you where you're almost running plays every play. There's no more read or react. There's no more kind of you know just just wing it as you as you go through the game and try and get into your your identity. When it comes down to, to running plays at the end of a game for the last five, six minutes, the Timberwolves have been dominant lately. Well, Plus 12 net rating. That, that's They're below the Clippers. They're above the Sixers, Jazz, Celtics, Blazers, Lakers, and Nets. They're the next five after them. Like It's not a coincidence that all of the best teams in the league are elite in the fourth quarter, and all of the best coaches in the league you know, are employed by those teams that, that are... That are really good in the last 12 minutes of a game. And Chris Finch is one of those guys. He has fit in seamlessly as a great coach. Like you said, the record's not going to support that he is a great coach, but he was given shit on a platter. Well, and, and he's turned it into and he's turned it into caviar. Now, that that's so poetic. I love you. That's <laughs> No, but this this was a couple nights ago. This was I think after the Wolves win when they had that two-game win streak when they beat the Jazz. But I said this on I just want to build off what you said, but I'd said this on Dane's podcast, but there was a tweet from Alan Horton where it's like post all-star break uh, wins after being down 15 or more points. The Wolves had six at that point, And the next closest was two. And everyone that had two was playoff teams, the Nets, the Celtics, the nut or the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Knicks, the Blazers, the Jazz. So it's like, I think your stat, which was phenomenal. I might ask you to say it again about fourth quarter net rating. Like, and that was since all-star break. I think the Wolves are also like maybe 14 and 16 since the All-Star break or something. I mean, it's they're not 500, but it's pretty close. But what that tells me... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think 13 and 16. Th- I don't know if this is updated for tonight, but I think it, I think it, it has been updated. So 13, 13 and 16. And 16, let me have an optimistic tweak if they win this and game this tonight. Is a team that, this is a team that's won 20 games. Right, right. Like, right, I'm just 13 saying 13 like, 16 doesn't sound... It's all relative 13 and 16 doesn't sound that good when you're... If you're the Clippers or if you're the the Sixers, but this is a team who's won seven more games than that for the entire season, right? Like so seven and forty or something in the rest of those games, right? And and all I wanted to say is on your point is like that net rating thing because my dad's listening, he doesn't have a clue what the hell you're talking about. But like to have that net rating and then to also be in close games or to like be having comebacks or be borderline five hundred, like that's really impress. Like that's the type of shit that you. Gerson Rosas talked about the day after he didn't do anything at the trade deadline. Like, I got to see what we got. And I think this last week or so, or hell, even when they were losing a couple games, like these last couple weeks have shown you that they have something. And I know that this franchise is a dumpster fire. 
And I know that there's so many things that go against that, but I just, I don't live in that historic moment. Like I live in the now of what I think this team has. And I think this team has a lot more than all the other teams right now that are humping them in the tankathon standings. I think they have far more to build off of because a lot of those teams aren't going to get Cade Cunningham. <laughs> you know what I mean? They might get a Mobley and I think Mobley's going to be really good, but he might not. Like, I think these guys have some impressive, the Wolves have some impressive players. And to me, it all ties back to what Anthony Edwards has done. I mean, I know without calling out names and giving this guy clout because he's a loser, but like, I know we were fighting with some people on Twitter tonight, but if you're not watching Anthony Edwards right now, you're missing out. Like that dude is special. Like you said, Carl had a quiet game, whatever he finished with like 28 and 14 or whatever. I didn't know Anthony Edwards had like nine rebounds and six assists. And we thought he got frozen out basically the fourth quarter. Like he was flirting with a 30, 10 um, for most, you know, he was on triple double watch going into the fourth quarter. So uh, I, it's just crazy. It's crazy to see what Chris Finch has done. It's crazy to see how healthy Delos looked coming off that knee injury. Um, he's been a completely different guy. Uh, and it, more than anything, man, I think this team goes with Anthony Edwards. I think by next year, we're going to be talking about the team lives and dies with Anthony Edwards as their best player. Well, that's what Ricky Rubio said yeah, in, yeah. in his post-game presser the other night. It's That's a good point. I, yeah. think, I think at this point, it's kind of like, like you can't go to any subsection of Timberwolves conversation without tying it back to Ant or Finch. Like, obviously, Cat is always going to be present. D'Lo is the same thing. But I just think that that Ant and and Finch have been the they're, they're what's different about this team right now. Is is like Ant's having twenty point fourth quarters against Steph Curry and dueling with Steph Curry and winning games for them. Finch is running kind of decoy actions that get open layups with four seconds left to win the game. Like it's it just feels different at the moment, and it all I guess ties back to the to the tanking as well, which has been kind of the theme flowing through this this episode. Is that it's it's I think you made a great point just then that it's different. They are a different team to Orlando, to Detroit, to Houston and to OKC because they are all they're all teams that are trying their best and in OKC's case they're doing a damn good job to bottom out completely like they want to get Cade Cunningham or Mobley and then they want to get someone next season as well and they want to be a team they want to build over three four five years to get to where they want to be Minnesota aren't that and they cannot be that with Towns. They they can't, you know, take they can't do another full rebuild. They're trying to add another piece to the puzzle that gets them into the playoff hunt next season. And I think with Ant Ant's development and Chris Finch's coaching nous and the fact that this team's just starting to win more games or to look better in every game, like that's the difference between this team and these tanking, you know, these quartet of tanking teams that are kind of around the, them in the standings is that Minnesota need to show something because they don't have time to bottom out and to do it all again. And, and if you think Chris Finch is as smart, by the way, as as you and I do, I'm pretty sure that guy probably will watch tonight's game film and be like, like I, next time we're in that situation, the ball's going to Ant. So again, kind of like, I don't just think it's the young guys who can't legally buy a beer that are learning. I think it's like the coaching staff and like, you know, Gerson Rosas figuring out like, okay, 
I like Jared Vanderbilt. I only say this because he's a restricted free agent, so he's not guaranteed to be back. For Gerst to be like, hey, you know what? We probably need another like big-bodied defender because I the Nas Reed thing. Like Nas Reed needs to get at least one like most improved vote because that dude is just on a that dude on a nightly basis now just giving you fourteen and eight, but like an efficient fourteen and eight, and he's throwing a live body out there. But I mean, they just they need another guy behind Jaden because there's too many times when. Again, it when Jade McDaniels of all people falls out in a game, and you and I go, "Shit, this one's over." Like that, that's probably not the the best sign for how the back right. end of the roster is built out. But but no, I'm with you. I, I think I mean I don't know how if you and I want to turn this into a nine hour podcast. But the Anthony Edwards thing for me is Chris Finch is the number two storyline. I mean, I know Carl Anthony Towns is good. I knew Russell was hurt before he was kind of publicly hurt, and I knew he would be better. But to see what Ant did in April. Um, to compared to what he was doing in January, to see how well he gets to the line. I mean, I remember for the longest time he was getting four free throws a game, not getting whistles tonight. He got eleven free throws, and he should have had sixteen. Um, it's just, it's really, it's impressive, man. The kid's nineteen years old. It's it like he has flaws defensively, some bad shots, but like. Look at where he is compared to some of the other guys in, in the top 10 of this last draft. They got injured or not. Like, even James Wiseman, who you can't bag on him, right? Because he's injured. But he has so much growing up to do and developing that he's missing out on. And Ant's just running laps around those guys right now. And he's going to be, again, I, I just think he's good. He's the most important person on this in this franchise going forward. How how much of Ant's development over the last, has been the, the last two, month, uh, two months, he's at about... This is off the off the top, so I'm not, you know, don't quote me on this, but he's had about 23 points a game, about 44, 43% shooting, around 34% from from three, you know, five assist, five rebounds, two assists. Like that's kind of been his his steady stat line uh, over the last two months. How much of that compared to what we saw early in the season is on Finch? Do you think, or is that just natural progression? A hundred and ninety percent of it is on Chris Finch. I think like, I mean, I, I really do think like, I think I thought I saw a stat or something that since the all-star break, he's like ninth in the league in steals. And I know that steals aren't the be all end all of uh, a mark of a good defender. But I think if you think Chris Finch is a wizard who is most like mostly playing 3d chess sometimes with his young guys that don't know what they're doing. Like I think Chris Finch has told Ant to hunt steals because it activates him on defense. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that we want prime 26-year-old Anthony Edwards maybe hunting steals as much as he does as a 19-year-old. But I think Chris Finch saw it as a way, going back to my my puppy analogy of like, maybe this is the best way to get Ant moving defensively. Rather than just standing there watching shit happen, have him just running around trying to steal the ball. Because if he steals the ball, it's going to be a poster dunk on the other side. He can get out in transition. So I think the def- – and again, he's still not by any metric – a good defender, but I just think a lot of it's Chris Finch. I just think a lot of it has Ryan Saunders was like a really good friend to Ant and really tried to build him up. It wasn't like he was an asshole to him, but um, and he played yeah. him a lot, right? It's not like he was a Tibbs who was buried Obi Toppin underneath the Madison Square Garden court. But I just, I just think Chris Finch is just again, he's just a smarter coach. He's just better. He knows how to get Ant to the line. He knows how to do things with the other chess pieces on the court that then will help Ant get to the rim or you'll get better shots. So I, I think it's all Chris Finch. Am I crazy? 
I mean, I mean, I know you love Chris Finch, but it's all him. Uh, I think I think that the talent was always there with Ant, and he was always going to discover it eventually. I think on his own, he needed to grow up and to 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 see things. Does that make sense? Just to yeah, see yeah, more things yeah. on, on the court, like as he, you know, it, it's not he's not playing for Georgia anymore. I think eventually he would have got better, even under Ryan Saunders. I think eventually he's. He would have gotten better, yeah, for shot. sure, for sure. Yeah, but I think the they run the, tonight. They run a lot of actions now that get him going downhill off the catch rather than just isolation. He's going to get a fair chunk of isolation buckets just because that's what Anthony Edwards is kind of, and that's what he's always been in lower levels is someone who just has the ball in his hands all the time and just you know can go at a defender and he's quicker than most guys. He's stronger than most guys. You know, he's more athletic than most guys. But lately, they've been running sets that get him curling around into the paint. They had, I think, two or three tonight where he just curls off a off a double drag screen straight round it into the paint, and Russell or Rubio can just feed him in stride. He takes one step and dunks the ball. Like, yeah, that's the kind that's the kind of stuff that we just didn't see from from Saunders, and it's the kind of stuff that, I you know, we've watched Ant a lot. I think by now you you realize that. Ant is definitely one of those guys that just needs to see the ball go in. Like, he can go 0 of 10 until he sees that ball go in, and then he can hit seven straight shots. Or he can not be... He can, you know, what what game was it? Uh, maybe against Utah, one of those games, where he had three points or something in the second quarter. And all of a sudden, he hits a layup, and, you know, he finishes with 25, 26 points, and he's the best player on the court in a win. Like... Ant needs to see the ball go through and getting him an easy dunk or an easy layup is the best way to kind of spark him when he's having a game where he's a little bit quiet. So that's just, it's the little things I think that have, that have with Finch that, that have uplifted all of his players. He seems to have figured out fairly quickly what makes guys tick, you know, like what makes guys play well and what positions they need to be in, what sets need to be ran for them, whether they need to be involved all the time or they need to be involved, you know, some of the time and they can still stay good. Like, it's... He seems to have figured out his personnel really quickly. And that's half... I think that's half the battle. It might even be more than half the battle as a coach is figuring out your personnel and and what makes them tick and what makes them good players and then putting them in positions to to be those good players. And that, that to me, is the most impressive thing about Finch you know overall and, and I think too like I mean April was the Wolves best I mean what they had eight wins or in April um probably the most I shout out to our friend Jake Graffs but I think the Wolves had the most wins in April they've ever had in franchise history which partly is tied to like this weird COVID season but also just kind of shows you like where we've been as a franchise but I mean yeah go look at just like month by month splits Ant took less shots in April than he, he played three more games in April than he did in March took less shots in April was more efficient from two, was more efficient from three, had his career high in assists. His points per game actually ticked down a little bit. Um, and they were playing their best basketball ever. You know what I mean? So for these, um, again, no clout for these people, but for the nerds who think that Ant's just about scoring, right? Like, it's not just about that for him. Going back to the Ryan Saunders comp, and again, there's there's some tweaks here and who was available and stuff, but Ant basically doubled his rebound totals and his assist totals when Chris Finch came in and like it went from being, you know, I'm averaging three or three rebounds and one and a half assists to like you start averaging 
seven rebounds and four or five assists. Like that's how you become that next level of player. Um, you're not just Jordan Clarkson on steroids. You're really more of a, a well-rounded franchise guard. Um, and I, I, yeah, I mean, and, and you're right. I, I, I jokingly said 180% goes to Chris Finch. Ant was going to figure some of it out, but you know, the, the, the narrative on Ant pre pre draft was that he needed to be in a spot that was good for him because there are there are ways that you could have put Anthony Edwards under a Ryan Saunders or under a lot of coaches and just had him chuck and it would have been yeah. really bad for him. And I think you're starting to see Chris Finch tweet just again. He's making tweaks that I don't even think Ant realizes coach is making, but he's starting to just mold him into a little more of a winning player rather than just this complete, you know, Lou Williams shot chucker or something like he's it's, it's kind of like the same thing happened with Trey Young when when the Hawks fired Lloyd Pierce or whatever and brought in their new coat, like brought in Nate McMillan, they just did little tweaks to make Trey Young just a little more of a winning player. And Trey's always going to be that guy who's going to pull up from a heat check. And it's always going to take heat check threes or do some crazy shit. But just those little things at 19 to get him learning how to play and then rewarding him with eight wins in April in the best month that that dude played, that, I'm so glad. Like, I feel like we've pivoted. Like, we didn't even realize now that we lost the game. Like, I feel like we've just we're we're basically pretending like we're on a five game winning streak. So, what? Uh, what? Well, that that was the plan to to optimize optimism ourselves into thinking that we were still winning. I always I always railroad these things. Um, and you're like my best friend for letting me just take it over. But you mentioned early on that you wanted to talk about D'Angelo Russell quick. So, do you want to hop? Yeah. On that? Well, yeah. Let Let's finish on that, and I think it. Uh, th- this whole podcast, I think, has kind of tied into each other well, and this one, this topic is the same deal, is that one of Chris Finch's successes, maybe his biggest maybe one, his person- biggest, yes, I- personality-wise, is getting D'Angelo Russell to not only accept being a sixth man, which is just bonkers to think of, you know, even for Jason Rosa is probably sitting in his office right now, is probably thinking how in the world has... You know, this happened. And even more so, how in the world has is it working so well? Like, D'Lo was off when he shot tonight. I know, I'm sure if I logged on to my Twitter timeline right now, I have a lot of people that that are, have turned on him completely. But he has been awesome since he came back. And he's not only accepted a bench role, he's accepted it with open arms. And, like, he hasn't let his ego get in the way at all. He's playing so well as, you know, off the bench. He's still getting good minutes. He's defensively, he's better. He's giving more effort than he ever has. He's shooting the ball well. He's making a very obvious concerted effort to get other guys involved. Uh, I just think that, I think D'Lo's been great lately. And I think a lot of, I think more than any player, you know, we just spoke about how, how much Finch kind of has, has boosted Ant's game. I think more than any player... Finch has has salvaged some of D'Lo's reputation. That's that's, that's such a great point. That's what I want to. Yeah, that's what I want to ask you about. It's just like, what do you think? What do you think of D'Lo? And especially, what do you think of this bench role? Like, do you think it's something that is going to continue? Is it just like an, a late season aberration? Like, what's what's your thoughts there? I thought before the game, Chris Finch had said something. Someone asked him a question about like, is this a long term thing? And he was pretty adamant that like it wasn't. Just kind of like a why why mess up a good thing right now because the Wolves yeah. were, have been on a good thing, um, and I don't know like I, I, I st- it can't be it can't no. be a long time and I thing. still I mean I, I do 
I do think you gotta you gotta kind of start the guys that make thirty million. Um, but without getting diving into analytics or you know, yes, he shot one for twelve from three or diving into all this other stuff because that's where Jake excels and Jack excels and Dane excels. I excel just on all the other shit that you can't measure, so you can't beat me in an argument. D'Angelo Russell has been a fantastic teammate. Like, I don't think yeah. we talk about that enough. Like, I know From he, day dot as well. Dude, he's like... From the f- I know he. I know it was really poorly executed, and I even cringed at it a little bit when, like, LaMelo Ball got hurt, and Russell tweeted that night, like, Ant Rookie of the Year or something. It was like, mm, timing was a little off. But he... He was the first, I mean, okay, if I can toot my horn once, I think I was number one and then D'Angelo Russell was number two, but D'Angelo Russell was way on Jaden McDaniels before like anyone. Like he was building that guy up in game four when Jaden was, you know, like spot minutes, like three, five minutes. He was like, Jaden's a dog. Like he's going to be awesome. And we're like, okay, maybe he's just, you know, blowing smoke up a rookie's ass, but he was in on that. He, he loves his teammates. He there's not a lot of guys for what people think of D'Angelo Russell in his way he plays or the way he carries himself. There's not a lot of dudes who would just come off the bench for the third worst team in the league and just be like, okay with it. And he hasn't said a peep. And that's, that's the thing that I've been like really the most impressed with. Like the guy that made his first wave in the NBA with the whole like Nick Young the LA Lakers like cell phone drama for him to kind of come full circle to be like one of the best teammates that guys can have. I think that's, I think that's phenomenal. I I really do. I think that's really big for this team going forward because when you're young and your, your leaders are still 25 years old or 24 years old, it's awesome to see how he's really accepted that. But to answer your real question, like game one of next season, he has to start. (laughs) Like, yeah, like there's, there's, it doesn't matter if Kate, I don't, I mean, I go, okay, maybe Kate Cunningham. See, I don't want to think about that yet, but like he has to start, but I do really think that Chris Finch embraces that idea of it doesn't matter who starts. Like you can just go throw anyone. I mean, teams do that all the time with center still, right? Like they start some weird center for four minutes to set the tone. And then that guy doesn't play the rest of the game. I, I don't think that's what he's doing with Rubio. Cause Rubio still plays a lot, but Russell's still getting his minutes and now he's getting more minutes and his minutes restrictions have been lifted. So Russell has to start on this team, but I've been impressed by how he's carried himself more than anything. And then as you notably said, he's been awesome. <laughs> like he's been playing fantastic. Yeah. He'll start next season. Yeah. I'd be yeah. very surprised if he didn't. I mean, he's not, they're not like, <laughs> if Justin Rosas, like, allows Chris Finch to not start D'Lo after, you know, what he gave up, especially if they lose the pick, um, then Chris Finch must have, like, some dirt on Jers <laughs> or something. But, like, but don't you think it's pretty impressive? Because I think today was the first day where Finch, someone asked Finch if the minutes restriction had been either, like, lifted or he he was given well, a longer played thir- D'Lo played 33 minutes tonight. Like, that's that's about he's, he's never been a high minute guy even when he's healthy like he's always been like a low 30s but and again so I'm not, no restriction i'm not a, i'm not a defender of any player well, except Jaden. but like i don't care who's on the team i just want them to win but don't you think that's as again I'm, I'm partial here but don't you think that's pretty impressive that like they were like yeah he's gonna play more minutes and he russell wasn't behind the scenes like yo coach you have to start me like he hasn't made one peep and we talked to people off uh, you know off of twitter like, right, like you and I talk to people outside of the internet and he hasn't made one issue about coming off the bench. 
Um, and maybe that's because he knows he's going to start when shit really matters next season. And maybe he's like, I'm, I'm cool with that coach. But if that's the case, and it's really cool that he's like, hey, let these other guys get that starting spot and then I'll come in and do my thing. And I think that the way that it works is that the guys have bought in that Finch's system works and that they can, yeah. you know, eke out wins or at least compete in most games. Because if, I guarantee you, they're, if they lost their last 10 games, D'Angelo Russell doesn't want to come off the bench anymore. Well, we saw that with Ryan, right? Like, we know yeah. we know that there was more to the Ryan and Russell relationship than maybe ever got out. Um, and the way that Ryan used D'Angelo... I mean, again, Russell was carrying around one bad leg, but... I just, and one bad... He was carrying around one bad team. Yeah, so. and I, I just don't think... I don't think D'Angelo thought very highly of Ryan. And I just... I think, I think D'Angelo Russell is a... And this has been said before about him when he was in Brooklyn, even a little bit when he was in LA in pre-draft stuff, if you go look at it, he's like, his basketball IQ is far beyond what people ever want to give him credit for. Just because he takes bad shots doesn't necessarily mean his basketball IQ as a whole is terrible. And I think he sees Chris Finch as a, as you and I do, as a wizard, as a smart guy. And he's like, you know what? Coach is still going to get me all my minutes. Um, I'm always going to close. And that's why he's been fine with it. But yeah, like what, 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 to kind of wrap up the Russell thing, what do you think has been his biggest improvement? Cause like, is it his defense? Is it his ability? Like he gets to the rim way more than he did when he was a one-legged pirate. But what is his biggest thing that you've liked? I think just the overall, like, this is a kind of a cop-out answer, but I just feel like the energy, like... Okay, yeah, no, that's you, great. You you mentioned it on Dane's podcast, and we've spoken about it before, is just, like, like the how spry he is, and and then he's... That, that you know, newfound spryness is transferring to all parts of his game. He's more energetic offensively. Even when he's taking dumb shots, he's getting into his move quicker to do it. Like, he's getting to the rim, he's cutting way more, which I don't know if that's just what he would have been doing anyway or if that's kind of the Finch's new offense. Uh, defensively, he isn't a good defender still. Let's no. kind of make that clear. But he he's not like, you cannot win if this dude is on the court bad defensively anymore. Like... He's he's doing he's trying and that, I think that's half the battle for him. He's always going to be limited athletically, laterally. Like he's just he'd be a zero 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 percentile <laughs> athlete in the NBA. Like there's seriously not many guys in the NBA who are less athletic than D'Lo. Like there's not many six foot four six foot five point guards who can barely graze the rim. Like, it's just rare. So that stuff's always going to rear, rear its ugly head defensively. Like, he's never going to be able to do what Jaden McDaniels does on defense just purely from an athletic standpoint. But he's trying. Like, he's trying to be in the right places. He's using that basketball IQ that you talk about to kind of compensate for some of the athletic deficiencies that he has. And that's all you can expect for him. I know Britt Robson put out a tweet tonight, and it was one that as a play that I noted in my notebook as well that they were doubling down on, on Zion and he was kind of just doing that half stunt from the perimeter oh, yep. get back to his man. And he did it four or five times with really, really good intensity. Like, that's all we ask for, I think, as fans, is to just, you know, kind of do your best. Like, And that's what I felt like he wasn't doing his best defensively and maybe it was the injury, but I just felt like he looked lethargic for the first 
you know, whatever, 30 games of the season. And I think it was just, you know, the league was bothering him. Ryan Saunders was bothering him. The team around him was bothering him. You know, the fact that there was no Tarantini Towns. Ant was still coming off the bench at that stage and just, you know, a flat-out worse player than what he is now. And, you know, I just think... I think D'Lo... I don't know if I mentioned this. I don't know if we said this on the last podcast, but I think D'Lo is one of those guys that just, like... Like, when the wind is in the sails of of his boat, he can he can go, you know what I mean? But when it's calm waters, he can't create that kind of momentum for himself. Like, Ant, Ant can just do anything at any time. A- Ant do you can, know what I mean? Like, can, I mean, you made this analogy, so you're going to hate this, but Ant can change the wind. You know what I mean? Right, like Ant, right. Ant can really make a non-windy day. He can make the wind pick up so that his boat starts taking off. I don't know. Delo needs Delo needs the wind behind him, and then he can be the fastest boat in the fleet. And I mean, there's right. a, there's a reason because if you're listening to this and you are, think we're just completely just blowing smoke up Delo's ass, um, there's a reason Daniel Russell has played for four teams in his young right. career, right? Like, I know he's a flawed player. Um, there was a, that the moment you talked about with Britt was a really good one. There was another moment too. It's one of the few things that kind of drive me crazy, but. I thought Jim Pete summed it up well. Uh, the Wolves were kind of on this run, and D'Angelo Russell was coming down in transition, and he pulls up for it was they're going left to right on your screen, um, and he pulls up for a three in transition, and it's just I hate those shots, right? Because if you're on if you have an yeah. advantage, you should really be getting to the rim, um, and he, or at least taking 15 seconds off the shot clock. Yeah, yeah, and, like that's and, that's a six second play, you know, no pass miss. Yeah, like, and I, I don't know. Chris who, Finch must tear his hair out. Yeah, I don't know who he had running with them at the time. Maybe J-Mac or John McLaughlin was out there, but he just kind of pulled up for this this in-transition three, which is one of his things. And and Jim Pete just said, you know, that's in his DNA. Um, And he missed it. And I was like, ah, damn it. Just kind of like he missed the one at the end of the game, right? But there is, and I can say this because he was tutored by him for a year, but like there is a little of that Kobe Bryant in him. You know what I mean? Like you can't, Going back to how we started this, you can't be pissed when he takes those shots like he did that a couple games ago when he had like 14 points in three minutes and he was just heat checking after heat checking and Dave Benz was having an aneurysm on the on the call. Like he I was freaking out. Like that was awesome to watch. So like you gotta give him that leeway sometimes to take those heat checks or those game winning ISO threes that aren't gonna go in. Um because he's also shown you this season. It was way earlier in the year when that felt like 46 years ago, but he's shown you this season that he does hit those shots. So, you know, they, they, he's a he's a maddening player just yeah. by nature, and that's why I he's think. but that's like, why he's available, right? Like that's why he keeps being on teams. He's not perfect. He's not, you know, a, a top five point guard. He's not Steph Curry. He's not a Chris Paul. But I mean, even though Chris Paul's been on some teams, like he's just that's not what he is. But I think he's so without. We, I know we're wrapping this up. Like he's so much, he gives you so much better than what I was watching with Andrew Wiggins. So I'm just like, whatever. Yeah. So if if we had to pay a a penalty to to get rid of that, um, I, I'm I'm we really should have recorded after that Warriors game because I would have just set the internet on fucking fire <laughs> with how happy I was. But no, I I, I, I we should have been talking about a five game winning streak. Um, I think maybe when you and I wake up tomorrow and text, we'll be happy that they did. You know, they, they right now, as it stands, they're the third worst record in the league with eight games left. Um, the Magic have a half game on them. They do still play the Magic. They do still play the Pistons. Um, 
it'll be interesting. I have a gut feeling that they not all these guys finish the season playing. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see someone. They finish, I think, the season against the Celtics and the Nuggets. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Carl sat for like one game or two games, you know. Um, so I don't think they have many more wins up their sleeve, maybe two, maybe three. Um, so you you were right. It's not going to change the standings too much, but this last week was fun, man. And it more than anything, it was needed because it gave us real hope. It showed you, I mean, from you, from a basketball and like standpoint, you're doing breaking down film. Like, wasn't it nice to break down shit that was successful? Well, I had, I finished two articles and, you know, I had my kind of taken the clips down and stuff for a third. And that's on my, my one article weekly quota. <laughs> and that, like, that's, it's just more fun to cover this team when they win. And maybe that's why we're more biased towards trying to keep this win streak going because we're so super committed to it, you know, as in we, we take up more time than just watching the game or just, you know, sitting on Twitter. <laughs> like we actually have we actually have to create content and maybe it's just like it's more fun to create content like these it's, podcasts get more more listens when we, when the team wins. But it like was it's, though. It's like when you message me like you had, you know, you had done your work for the week, right? We all have these real important and busy real lives. But when you did that, and then I woke up the day after that Chris Finch wizardry play for Russell to get that last second layup, and you're like, hey, I broke down that entire play. Like, I'm Zach Law. I was like, dude, like, it is more fun to win. That's why it's not just us, too. Like, you, again, going to the – we talk to people who know stuff. Like, the team is having a good time. Like, there was something that was told to me where it's like one – I don't know if it was one of the younger guys, but they're like, they were sad that the season was coming to an end. Like, that's crazy, right? Because in January, those guys couldn't get to Cancun fast enough. And now it's like we're starting to put some shit together that we would love to keep playing. So I, th- I think the momentum is building. Tonight it took a stumble. They did choke. There's no way to sugarcoat it. It was a in, – in, in, in the basketball standpoint, it was a bad loss. You can't lose those games if you want to be a, a serious contender or, you know, a, a playoff team. But um, I saw a lot this last week that kept you and I alive. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's how I, I feel. Well, that's, that's, I think that's the perfect way to end it, is that, you know, we're, we're coming off the back of a game that, that put a little bit of damper on the, on the spirits. But overall, I think that we, you know, if you're listening to this, you should be more optimistic than you have been all season at the future. I think we both are. And, you know, hopefully we can end this season with a little bit of fun and, you know, Hopefully, hopefully, the lady luck kind of shines down on us on lottery night. And but that's it, a it's still gonna conversation be, for another day. It's going to be fun. I think we have. I think it's two weeks from tomorrow is when they wrap up the season. Uh, they have seven games left, and I think five of them are against playoff teams, and then two are against the two other teams the Wolves are fighting with in the in the Tankathon standings. So you're going to get a mixture of like extremism on one side or the other. Um, but it'll be cool to see how they stack up. Like they they have one trip down to Miami. The last time they're in Miami, they had that infamous block on on Jimmy Butler. Like it'll be interesting to see how they close the season and if they can keep this rolling a little bit. Um, and then we're probably we say this this is so stupid, but like it'll be the biggest off season in franchise history. I think we say that every year, but this again this will be bigger than last year. It'll be bigger than 2019. Um. This team. I think it'll either be real. It's going to be either really big, like either way, it'll be really big on draft lottery night. But if draft lottery night doesn't go their way, I expect it to be a kind of boring 
off season. I don't expect them to do too much because they just really can't, you know, cap space yeah, wise. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think they have a lot of assets that they're willing to move to get, you know, some sort of superstar. But like draft lottery night specifically, I think will be one of the biggest nights in franchise history, especially if they, you know, keep one of these four worst records and give themselves a pretty decent chance to to keep that pick. I think that's going to be one hell of a night, you know, good or bad. I'm, I'm, ex- we're sick people, but like, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. I mean, it sucks that like they lost, but I'm already like, this is the longest break they'll have, by the way. They'll have like a three nights off for the first time, I think. Hell, I, I think it's three nights off for the first time since January because the schedule yeah, has been just a been long time. The schedule's just been on meth, but uh, yeah, so they had three nights off, and I'm excited to see how they rebound against the Grizzlies because I thought tonight in the post game comments, they kind of some of the guys said it, but um, I think they should have won tonight. Uh, and yeah. they're starting to, I mean, a young team that is the worst, one of the worst records in the league thinks they should be winning games. And that's a pretty big improvement. If you ask me, especially when you and I were recording podcasts in January and we were just trying to like literally just talk ourselves into not <laughs> finding a new team. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's leave it at that. Um, Kyle, obviously you can find all of Kyle's work over at Canis Hoopus. You can follow him on twi- on Twitter at Kyle Tidy. Um, Kyle, you're a legend, man. Thanks for always doing these with me, man. Yeah, dude, uh, love it. Keep subscribing, rate, review, uh, pain points. This is this is the best. And uh, let's take a couple days off from the Minnesota Timberwolves, and we'll regroup uh, on Wednesday against the Grizzlies.